0: Welcome to Starkville Church of God. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, strengthens you, and fills you with God's love so you can share with others. Enjoy the message. So, we start this morning with the seventh commandment, which is always an awkward one to preach Thou shalt not commit adultery. A child who was learning the Ten Commandments in Sunday school came home one day and asked his father, What does the Bible mean when it says thou shalt not commit agriculture? (laughs) His quick-witted father replied, son, it means you're not supposed to plow in anybody else's field. (laughs) The answer illustrates the concern of this commandment to keep matrimony holy by faith. Faithfulness to one's spouse. I'm going to get a little old fashioned on you here today. And that includes both present and future. So, purity, when, when it comes to this, when it comes to not committing adultery, purity not only represents those like myself who are currently married, but purity in this also represents being faithful. To that spouse that the Lord has for you in a future time. I mean, in a college town, that gives that gives us special privileges and special perks, but it also gives us special responsibilities. That as we live in a day and a time where. There's so much promiscuity, and you're told to just experience it in your college time and just just indulge in whatever you want to. I believe that the Bible teaches us that we are supposed to keep ourselves pure, not only if we are currently married, but pure for that future mate that we have ahead of us. You know, one thing that I, as I continue to, and I try to learn, and I try to read, and I try to study and see what's going on, one thing about this current generation, they take a lot of heat for a lot of things, but one thing that I, that I hear about this current generation is that they don't want it sugar-coated. One thing that I'm hearing about this current generation is they they want the truth and they want to just put it out, want you to put it out there to them and and do it in love, but give them the truth. And generations past, uh, it's like some you had to tiptoe around, but this current generation, uh, everything that I'm reading and everything that I'm seeing, they want the truth. So you're about to get it plain here uh, today. And that is the old fashioned part of there's no need to be going out and sleeping around, even if you're single because the Lord wants you to keep yourself Pure for your future husband or your future wife. We know that God ordained the institution of marriage to be a union of one man and one woman for a lifetime, according to Genesis chapter two, verses twenty-one through twenty-four. The book of Proverbs chapter eighteen, verse twenty-two says, "Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord." In Ecclesiastes nine and nine, the Bible says, "Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life." You see, our day is very similar to the days of the prophet Jeremiah when he said in chapter 23 and verse 10 that the land is full of adulterers. You see, adultery is the willingful violation of one's marriage vows through sexual involvement with another person. Person, you know, for some reason, everybody gets all tore up out the frame. You know, when you minister, when you preach, and, and we of course take a stand against homosexuality. So here I am this morning, reminding us that not only is as as of course all homosexuality is sin, but listen, if you are having even heterosexual sex outside of the bond of marriage, it is sin. It is wrong according to the Scripture. Hebrew Hebrews thirteen and four says, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Adultery has spread across our land like wildfire, and sadly, statistics show that there's very little difference between Christians and non-Christians when it comes to marital Faithfulness. So I'm going to give you this, as we have throughout this entire uh, series. I want to give you first uh, the command in the Old Testament, the references, and then as it applies in the New Testament. So first, in the Old Testament, family life was a priority in Israel. In the fifth commandment, it protected the family by doing what? Calling the children to what? Children, obey they, your parents in the Lord. And then the seventh now commandment protected the sanctity of the home by prescribing death. Somebody say, "Uh uh-oh, for the sin of adultery. Now, before you run out of here saying, no, I know we're in the New Testament right now. That was the old covenant. Let's look at David. Listen, if we know something about David, we know David, the Bible said, was a man after God's own heart. But if a man after God's own heart can fall into sexual sin, can I just tell you that any of us in this room can I know sometimes we think, oh, I'm just too old, or I don't have that. And I know that everybody struggles. There's there's sins that some struggle with more than others. But never come to the place. The the apostle Paul is very clear. Never come to the place where you stand up and say, oh, that could never be me. I'm never going to do that because the Bible is clear to say when you become that person that said that would never be me, it will end up being you. We must all be careful. David committed adultery with his neighbor's wife Bathsheba. And after a failed plan to cover it up, then he had her husband killed, married her, but God still viewed the situation as evil. And later on, we find we'll get a little deeper into that. Charles Spurgeon said, God does not permit his children to sin successfully. I'm just going to tell you something, child of God. You look at people around you. You look at sinners around you, college student, high school student. You look at people around you just living like the devil, living like the world. Seems like they're just getting away with it. Listen, there's going to come a payday someday anyway. But let me just tell you something. There's some different for God's children. He's not going to allow you to just live in that stuff like people of the world do. Eventually, God's going to call you out. And for those of us that are believers, most of the time, there's going to be a wake-up call that's going to come quicker. Somebody say, hallelujah. Because of the book of Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 10, The prophet Nathan comes and he confronts David and told him that the sword shall never depart from your house. I'm about to give you a very tough truth. Are y'all ready for this truth? I know that everybody don't always like it, but here's one of those I said, you're going to get some non-sugar-coated stuff this morning. Here's the cold, hard truth about sin. You can be forgiven. The blood of Jesus will wash your sins away, but there is consequences for the sin that you commit in this life that you will always have to deal with. With sometimes on this planet. If you are so promiscuous and you come up with a SDT, STD, sometimes, yeah, some, God can obviously, He can heal it, He can do it, but how many of you know that sometimes, even though you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, He forgives you in and, and the scope of eternity on this planet, you may have to live with a SD, STD the rest of your life. Uh, the, the same thing with drugs. God will forgive you. There's no sin too great that God can't forgive you, but sin here on this planet still comes with consequences sometimes. I've seen it. i seen people that used to be really bright, people that used to be really sharp, and they fry their brain with drugs, and they come to know the Lord, and they're forgiven, and they're on their way to heaven, but they live the rest of their life where they burn out brain because they have to live. I told you I know this ain't popular preaching, and listen, understand I'm not saying God won't forgive. Me. No, but I am telling you that sin does still scar our life. So what I'm trying to do this for is to tell some of you young people out there, and if I could pull up probably four or five people that would testify, and I'm not going to do it, I think they would be on board with it. And I'm trying to tell you, if you don't have to go through it, don't go through it. God will forgive you. God will, yes, but I'm sure, like I said, I know that there's people that would say, don't go through it if you don't have to. Stay away from it. Though forgiven by God, David experienced much trouble, including the death of four sons, three by the sword. David paid a high and painful price. We talk about David a lot, and I think you've heard me. I've preached on David a lot. I like the life of David and and the beginning of David's life. I mean, it was awesome. But you read about the end of David's life and the price that he had to pay for his his mistakes, and, and it was a high and painful, very painful price i got to move on. We look then at the man Joseph. I, I don't have time. i got to hurry up this morning. But we look at the life of Joseph. If you've got time, go to the book of Genesis 39 and you read about the life of Joseph. And he was there with his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, who was secretly making advances toward him. And he refused. He refused time after time after time after time. He refused to be sucked into sin. And for a time, it seemed as though that he would pay a steep penalty for staying pure and refusing to give in to her advances. But even though he was temporarily falsely accused and in prison, it was temporary. And Joseph's story ended much different than David's story. David's final years were filled with tragedy, but yet Joseph's were filled with success, reunion with his family, and blessings for him and his family. In the latter years of his father's life, he brought his two sons into the room where Jacob was dying and the bible said that the grandchildren of Joseph received the blessing that normally would be reserved only for the children why is that i know it's harsh i know a lot of people don't want to talk about it anymore but i'm telling you today yes you could be forgiven for any sin but if you will be faithful and you will be obedient and you will be pure you will open up your life for blessings that you might not receive if you allow sin to reign in your life. Come on, somebody say amen. Now, here we are. I told you Old Testament, New Testament, teachings from Jesus. I'm going to read this. You need it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. Ye have heard it, that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. "'And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. "'For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, "'and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. "'And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. "'For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, "'and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell.'" Now, this is, this is deep right here, and I don't have nearly enough time this morning to go into this. But as I've told you in all the rest of these, a lot of people are like, oh, that's Old Testament. We don't have to. What we find is mo- in, in all of these, when you cross over from Old to New Testament, usually Jesus' requirements end up being more than the Old Testament word. Now, thankfully, you don't get the whole stone-to-death thing if you messed up in the New Testament like you do in the Old but however Jesus said, "Hey, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, don't have adultery." He says, "If you look at somebody lustfully, you've already done it in your heart." In other words, he says that this not just limited to the outward deed. There is a saying, you listen to me very clearly. There is a saying that is not biblical and you've probably all heard it. It's all right to look as long as you don't touch it. Anybody ever heard that before? You've heard that before. That is not Bible. Somebody say that ain't Bible. <laughs> but that is a saying. You know, you'll hear people say that. Oh, you can it's all right to look as long as you don't touch. That is absolutely incorrect according to Scripture. So let me ask you this. Oh, God help me. Does what you wear cause someone to sin? Now I know. Listen, if somebody's heart's full of lust, you you can have you can have. You can have clothing from the end of your toe all the way up and cover and just have eyeballs sticking out if you want to. And if somebody's full of lust, they can still lust. I realize that. And I'm not listening. I want you to, I want you to stay with me because I know this is unpopular stuff nowadays. Who are you looking good in Who are you walking around half naked for? What are you doing? Got men and women, what are we doing? See, the problem is not the eye or the hand, but it's the mind and the heart, really, when you come down to it. you got to come down to the root of the problem. See, God made the body to want and do what it does for the continuance of life. I'm going to say that one more time because I read that fast, and y'all, y'all are grown-ups in here. God made the body to want and do what it does for the continuance of life. And it's good and holy in the confines of marriage. In fact, the Bible even goes on so far to instruct married couples not to withhold from one another except in times of fasting. Christians are called to bring that body or flesh into subjection through a spirit-filled and a spirit-led heart and mind. Now, Jesus, of course, does teach in John chapter 8 and verse 11 that adultery, like every other sin, can be forgiven. As he, looked, as he looks at that woman that had gotten caught in adultery, Numerous times she had been committed, committed this sin. He looks at her, says, neither do I con- condemn you. Go and sin no more. It is a forgivable sin, but one that we should avoid just like any other sin if we can. So how do we avoid this sin? Real quick, I'm going to give you this. First of all, just like Joseph did, you got to run from compromising situations. Later on, New Testament, 1 Corinthians 6.18, the apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Sometimes you got to run. Now, again, I'm not here to be, I'm not here to be vulgar. I'm not big, but let's just be honest. All of us, I told you earlier, God made the body to do, and, to do and want what it does for the continuance of life. And every single one of us, though at different times in our lives, we got more hormones racing through us than at other times. Every single one of us can find ourselves in a, in a moment of temptation and a moment that we can be put in a compromising situation. And how do you avoid this? If you find yourself there, don't, Don't do like David did and linger on the balcony looking at it. Do like Joseph did. And if you've got to leave your coat behind, run from it. Avoid bad influences. Listen, you don't need friends that are encouraging you to cheat on your spouse. You don't need friends that are encouraging. High school, college, you don't need friends that sleep around all the time and encourage you to do it. Stop lustful thinking, Romans 12, 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove whether it is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Job said, in Job 31 and 1, He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. And that includes in person, on a screen, on a magazine... Come on, somebody. Listen, used to, let's just be honest here. Used to, even when I was a kid, used to, to find it, you had to come up with some magazine somewhere. Now it's just available on any screen, any device. It's coming at you. How else do we do it? We develop a loving marriage. Can I just tell you, if any marriage is going to work, it's going to take work. If any marriage is going to work, it's going to take work. Anything worth anything. You've heard me say this, and if you hear me, if the Lord tears, you're going to hear me say this a whole lot more. Anything worth anything is going to take work. We live in a society where everybody wants everything just handed to them and given to them, but this Bible does not teach this. This Bible teaches if you want something that's worth something, you've got to work at it. How else do we avoid it? We realize the destructive nature of sin. Hebrews eleven twenty five, 25, choosing rather to suffer the affliction of the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. One thing that I've always tried to do as a preacher and especially as a pastor is I don't ever want anybody to come up to me later and say, well, why didn't you tell me that? Why didn't you tell me the whole story? I'm going to tell you the whole story. The Bible is clear about it. There is pleasure for, in, for a season in sin. It's going to feel good at first. There is obviously It would not be temptation if it didn't. Listen, there is no temptation for you to say, are you tempted to go out there and get on South Montgomery and see if a car will hit you? Absolutely not, because it'll hurt. It's not a temptation to me. But a temptation means yes, it's gonna sin always feels good at first, but leaves you in a much the the wage of Romans 623, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. i got to keep moving. I told you all it would be a miracle. Come on, somebody say, say hurry up, preacher. we got to get through this. <laughs> we got to look at this eighth commandment. Eighth commandment is this. It is thou shalt not steal. It focuses on how we treat another person's possessions and how we use our own. The sanctity of private property. And so for this commandment to have the effect God desires, I need you to get three fundamental truths. We're going to hit these quick. Are you ready? First of all, the fundamental truth, God owns everything. Everybody say, God owns everything. Exodus 19 and 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my commandment, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Psalms 24 and 1. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell that in. God owns everything. Two, God gives us what we have and what we need. First Chronicles 29 and 12. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thy hand is power and might, and in thy hand it is to make great and great, and to give strength unto all. It is true that our diligence or laziness contributes to how much we own. But God and his sovereignty entrusts us as stewards to that which belong to him. So we can use the possessions to accomplish his will. Third, God holds us accountable for what he has given us. Romans 14 and 12. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Are you ready? Old Testament. What does this mean? Well, an Old Testament establishes personal property rights because society at the time was largely agricultural. A lot of this stuff has to do with animals, but we know that, that it it has a much wider application to us today. Specific laws regarding theft can be categorized. Are y'all ready? Four groups of circumstances. You ready? Relationships, number one. Relationships between individuals. According to Leviticus 19, 11, and 13, people were not to secretly steal, defraud, or agree Aggressively rob others. Don't steal stuff from other people. Somebody say, "Amen." two stone landmarks in indicating property boundaries were not to be moved. Don't, they didn't have deeds. You couldn't go up to the courthouse and get GPS markers and find out. They were stone markers that represented boundaries for property and people could if they nobody was paying attention, moving around and God said, don't you do that. Third, borrowed, according to Psalms 37, 21, borrowed money or possessions were to be repaired or returned on time. Fourth, loans between believers were not to include interest according to Deuteronomy 23 19 through 20 and fifthly aiding and abetting theft was still viewed as theft according to Proverbs 29 and 24 then there were acts of kindness and justice number two when finding something that had been lost by someone else it was to be returned to that owner according to 23 and 4 of Exodus according to Exodus 22 5 and 6 number two that it were unintentional property damage required compensation according to Deuteronomy 23, and 24, there were systems of gleaning for the poor to help them. Are y'all still with me? Two was acts of kindness and justice. Three, commercial situations involving business. In Proverbs 11 and one, merchants were not to rob consumers by intentionally misrepresenting products for sale to increase profits. Don't lie to them. Listen, if I say I got this pair of reading glasses here, this is what they are. Pay, uh, you can give me a hundred bucks for them. Now, if you're dumb enough to pay a hundred bucks for them, that's your caucus. All I'm telling you is they're reading. Now, if I was to take, now these reading glasses, if you put them on, you can look into the future. <laughs> you can have them all the, for the low cost of $100. What am I doing? I'm defrauding you there. I'm telling you an untruth there about that. So it, don't defraud. Fourthly, there are spiritual situations involving God in Malachi 3 and 8. You know this one, will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? We find that degrees of punishment were prescribed based on the circumstances of theft and the value of the object stolen. Punishment always included restitution and sometimes execution. Uh, That's Old Testament. So let's look at reasons people say they steal. Some say, I thought it would be exciting. I knew it wouldn't hurt anyone. Some say, they have so much, I knew they wouldn't miss it. Some say, my employer should be paying me more. Some say, the devil made me do it. <laughs> Come on, somebody. The devil made me do it. That's always a, he, you know, he don't do everything. Sometimes, we can't blame everything on the devil. Some people say, well, everybody does it. And then the real reason came from Achan and Joshua 7, after they had raided and defeated Jericho, they were told not to take anything. Why? Because Jericho was the first fruit. There's a lottery of there. But Jericho was the first fruit of the land, and what is the fir- first fruit belongs to the Lord. They were told, don't you take anything from Jericho. But Achan, the Bible said in Joshua 7, it said, I saw, I coveted, and I took it. We find that Jesus encountered thieves in the cleansing of the temple in Matthew chapter 21. He dealt with theft by judging it because they had concocted a corrupt system of currency exchange And Jesus took action to turn the den of thieves back into a house of prayer. We find also in Jesus' ministry in Luke 19, the conversion of a tax collector. Jesus forgave theft. Now, it wasn't the fact of the taxes because Jesus himself paid the tax. But it was the Jewish tax collectors who overcharged citizens for their own personal gain. And it was sanctioned by the Roman Empire. Zacchaeus got saved and stopped overcharging and made restitution. Also in the life of ministry of Jesus, we see the crucifixion with the thieves in Luke chapter 23, that he bore the sins of the thieves that he hung in between, and he forgave the one that simply did what? Asked for forgiveness. So let's look, what's theft now? That was then, that, what's now? A university survey of 323 teenagers revealed that more than 90% thought that theft was wrong, but they weren't sure why. The most common reason given was they thought they might get caught. I'm going to say that one more time. The most common reason why they thought theft was wrong was because they might get caught, not because there was a value of personal property. Theft characterizes the lost. Christians who practice theft are to turn away from it because it represents how unbelievers act. What are forms of theft today? Time theft, time theft at work, identity theft, literary theft, media theft. How many of you remember... <laughs> That Some of you young people, you're so young, you're going to have no idea. But I'm about to date some of us. How many of y'all remember Napster? Anybody remember Napster? Nobody. A few of us remember Napster. Listen, before there was Spotify, before there was Apple Music, before you could legally pay a subscription, there was, of course, the days of the vinyl records. There was the days of the 8-track. There was the days of the cassette tape. There was the days of the compact disc. There was the days of if you wanted to hear a song on the radio, you had to do what? You had to sit there and you had to wait for them to play that actual song on the radio. And maybe you might could call a request line. Anybody ever called a request line? Come on, be honest. Anybody ever call a request line and want a song played? A long time ago when all that was coming up, the, on the scene stepped this thing called Napster. It was new because there was something new called the Internet. And this Napster was putting all this music on to the internet, and you could go and you could listen to it, and you could even, download well, if you could find internet fast enough that it didn't take you two days to download one song, you could go and you could listen to this song for free. However, those artists were not receiving any royalty for that, and it was media theft, piracy back You know, used to there people would actually go into movie theaters. I'm dating myself here and go into a movie theater and take a camera and record a movie and you could get a bootleg pirated copy of a movie. It was all theft. Some of y'all young people are like, wow, those were hard days back then. (laughs) So what is the answer to all this? The answer, just do honest work. John Wesley once preached on the use of wealth. And in it, he said this, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. I'm moving on. Come on, we're still believing for a miracle. I got 13 minutes. Come on, somebody say 13-minute miracle. <laughs> I got seven minutes each. Commandment number nine, I'm on, I'm two more. It says this, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. A person once prayed, Lord, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped or lost my temper. I haven't been grumpy, greedy, or overindulgent, and I'm thankful for that. In a few moments, I'm going to get out of bed, and then I'll probably need a little more help. Amen. (laughs) The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You know, some evil conversation is painfully obvious, while others are a little more subtle, such as gossip, slander, and what is trivially called little white lies. Can I tell you that that's also a lie? That's kind of like, remember what I said? Some people say it's okay to look, but just don't touch. That, that's a lie. And little white lie, that's a lie in itself. Somebody say a lie is a lie. Matthew 15 and 18, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile the man. I I, I didn't do it this morning because I I just didn't. Y'all have seen it enough. Y'all don't have to do it. Y'all know. You've seen illustrations in sermons and in church before, youth camps and such. If I was to have an orange in my hand and I was to squeeze that orange, what's coming out of the orange? Orange juice. If I took an apple and I was able to squeeze the apple or press the apple with something, what's going to come out of the apple? apple juice. If I took grapes and squeezed the grapes, what's coming out? Grape juice is coming out. Whatever is on the inside is eventually going to come out. And so Jesus here is saying those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. They defile the man. Whatever you have filled yourself with is going to come out and it is that that defiles you. The ninth commandment is about controlling what we say about others. To love our neighbor is to speak good to them and about them, not just to their face help us, Lord. Words can be helpful or harmful. Now, I know that we all like to say it. We've said it as a kid. Maybe again, I'm dating myself. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Again, (laughs) just like some of these other things that I've said, it's a lie. Now, there's some people, let's just be honest. Yeah, there's some people that could say something about me and I really don't even care. But there is a lot of people that if they said something about me, harmful or hurtful, it would hurt me. Proverbs 18 and 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And I'm telling y'all, I've come to the place. I think it's because of the whole name it and claim it theology that kind of worried me. And I kind of got skeptical and I kind of stand away. But the older I get, the more I become... To the realization of this scripture, and I try to practice it more and more, that I make sure that I am trying to speak life over everybody and everything that I come in contact with. I want to speak life over my wife. I want to speak life over my children. I want to speak life over you, my church. I want to speak life over the people I come in contact with. I want the words that come out of my mouth not to give death and destruction, but to give life and joy and encouragement. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, the word of the reckless pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I don't want, I've had people do that. Sometimes people say stuff and it pierces and it cuts and it hurts, but the wise tongue brings healing. I want this mouth, I want the stuff that comes out of my mouth not to be hurting people, but the stuff that comes out of my mouth to be bringing healing to people. What you say matters. Come on, say, what I say Matters. out of your mouth or typed we kind of started going through this transition years some years back of it 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 was one thing saying something to somebody face to face it's one thing saying something behind somebody's back or even letting it out but it but it seemed almost untraceable it seemed almost like oh nobody ever know when it's all right here if we just Type it out or actually st- starting. Because remember, before it was in these things, you had to go to an actual computer and a keyboard with dial up internet. <laughs> Come on, I'm dating myself and everything here tonight. <laughs> Can I say that it matters what you say and it matters what you type? Well, I don't care if you type it on a phone, on a keyboard. If you're putting it out there, it may not be coming out of your mouth, but it is coming out of you again. It's a whole thing about squeezing. You're getting squeezed. It just ain't coming through this. It's coming through this, but it still matters. Psalms 139 and 4, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. So before it's ever on your tongue, so even if it never comes out of your tongue and it comes out of your little pipey fingers, the Lord still knows it. Matthew 12 and 36, but I say unto you, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. So let's look at this in this Old Testament setting. It's given in the courtroom setting. I got seven. I got to hurry. The ninth commandment places us in this courtroom setting where witnesses must speak the truth of justices to prevail. In ancient Israel's legal system, a number of divine guidelines were followed to secure the truth from witnesses. The first was this. In Deuteronomy 19 and 15, it required two or three witnesses. You couldn't just have one-on-one because it's that one person might be lying. Have a grudge. It required at least two, preferably three witnesses. Secondly, there was a perjury penalty. If you got caught lying, there was a penalty there. Those giving false testimony would be, sent. listen to this, the, those giving false testimony in Deuteronomy 19, 16 through 19 would be sentenced to the same punishment that would have been imposed on the accused, including execution. So let's just say you got, you got mad, you got mad at Eric, and you go to court, and you know that Eric did not kill a man, but you're mad at Eric, and so you go into court and you say, oh, I saw him kill him. And it gets found out that you lied about that, you get sentenced to the punishment that he would have received for your perjury, and that would have been death. Then we find that in this, there was a participant in execution in Deuteronomy 17 and 7. This is rough stuff here. The hands of witnesses must be the first in putting that person to death. And then the hands of all the people you must purge the evil from among you. So in other words, if you saw somebody kill somebody and you testified to it in court that you saw it as a witness that you must be one of the first, whether, whatever it may be, if it be obviously then uh, probably some sort of hanging or, or stoning, whatever it may have been. But if in today's electric chair, lethal injection, firing squad, whatever it may be, the witness that saw it must have been the first one to do it. Well, then you say, well, you know what? I'm just not feeling that. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. That don't work either because anyone who had valuable evidence was not to withhold it or they would be guilty of a sin. In Leviticus 5 and 1, if anyone sins because they do not speak up when they hear a public charge or testify regarding something they have seen or learned about, they will be held responsible. That's, that's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? So let's go beyond the courtroom. The courtroom is not the only place God expects the truth. Somebody say Amen. It's not just in the in the courtroom where you go and you put your hand on the Bible, raise your right hand, all that stuff. It's not just there. Everywhere, some uh, lying. The Bible talks about lying. Lying, the noun, is a false statement made with deliberate intent to deceive an unintentional. And excuse me, an intentional truth, a falsehood. Synonyms are falsification. Antonyms are truth. Something intended or serving to convey a false impression, imposture. His flashy car was a lie that deceived no one. An inaccurate or false statement, a falsehood. The charge or accusation of telling a lie, he flung the lie back at his accusers. The verb, to speak falsely or utter untruth unknowingly as with intent to deceive. Synonyms are a fib. To express what is false, convey a false impression. This also by spoken word or written or typed. Come on, just because you type it or you write it, don't get you out of it. If you express it, however it may be. How else is this manifest? It's manifest in cheating. It might not be stealing if someone allows you to cheat off them, but it is still lying. Because tests are intended to find out what you know. I can remember growing up in the church, there was a little song. And it was out of Revelation 21.8. Anyone ever remember that? The fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 21.8. Anybody remember that as a kid growing up at the church? You better not lie. Revelation 21.8. You lie, you fry. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Gossip. Leviticus 19 and 16, thou shalt not go up and down as a tailbearer among thy people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. Proverbs eleven thirteen: a tailbearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. You don't always have to feel like it's your business to blab everything that you possibly know or think you know. Now, I'm not talking about a crime. Obviously, I read to you where the Bible requires us to be witnesses whenever somebody... I'm talking about you just want to tell something. Somebody say amen. It comes from a Hebrew word. If you want to look it up, Strong's number is 7402. It is a scandal monger as traveling about. Slander, slanderer, tailbearer, informer. So how do we keep our tongue in check? James 3 and 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Yeah, he had that in your mouth, did he? An unruly evil full of dead. Nobody can tame this thing, the Bible says. That's why you got to have the help of the Lord. Come on, if you ain't shaking too many hands, just say, I can't do this. I can't kick this on my own. <laughs> I got to have Jesus to do this. Psalm 141 and 3 said, A watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the doors of my lips. Sometimes you got to say, Lord, help me to shut up. Because we just want, we are in that world and we are in that society where we just think we're supposed to tell it all and say it all. Sometimes we just need to shut it up. Rip it up, rip it up, and throw away Psalm 39 and 1, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. A lot of times, no matter where you are, foreigners are easily identified by their speech. Wherever we were in Puerto Rico, we were identified. We were Americans, obviously. For those that aren't Americans and you're in America, you're identified by your speech. If you go to foreign lands like we did and live in Illinois, that southern draw. First thing when you walk into somewhere, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Foreigners are easily identified by their speech. So when we lie, it identifies us with the father of lies. John eight and forty four says this Jesus speaking says, Ye are your you are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. When you speak lies out of your mouth, you are identifying yourself with the devil. When you speak truth and you speak life, you're identifying yourself with the Lord. You ready for this? Give you this acronym, and I got the last one, and I promise we're getting out of here. Last, if if uh what how do we need to speak? Use the acronym think. T, is it true? H, is it helpful? I is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? Last one. And we're getting out of here, I promise. Tenth command, thou shalt not covet. Story of told is told of President Abraham Lincoln carrying his. Two crying sons. When someone asked what was wrong with the boys, Lincoln replied, Exactly what is wrong with the whole world. I have three walnuts and each boy wants two. The word covet means to have an intense desire. It's used in the Bible in both positive and negative ways. It's used positively in 1 Corinthians 14 and 39, where Paul encourages believers to covet prophecy. You should covet, you should have an intense desire to allow the gifts of the Spirit to operate in your life, especially prophecy. When someone says, I covet your prayers, they are expressing a legitimate desire for something good. I covet your prayer. I desire your prayer. That's a good scenario, a positive use of the word. But sin is spread so deeply in our desires that we must be aware of private evil desires such as coveting other people's possessions. In Proverbs 21 and 10, the soul of the wicked desireth evil. His neighbor findeth no favor in his eyes. The commandment is different from all the others. That it goes beyond our outward behavior and probes at the level of our internal attitudes where sin begins. I've told you that in all of the rest of these, they're all that Old Testament surface. And then Jesus later on takes it deeper in the New Testament. But actually, this is the only one in the Ten Commandments in that Old Covenant that actually begins to go deep and probe into the internal part of it. 1 Timothy 6 and 9 says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Here's the deal. Covetous people will never be satisfied. Ecclesiastes 5, 10, and 11, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them. Who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Solomon did. The man that was the wisest one in the world, the one that was filthy rich, the one that the queen of Sheba came and showed up to look at all of his stuff. And she said, I'd heard some stories. How many of you ever heard stories of people exaggerate and you finally see it and it's like, this ain't nothing as good as you may. She went the opposite way. She said, I'd heard stories, but they, they didn't even compare to what you actually have. Can I tell you, if anybody had stuff, It was Solomon, and yet Solomon writings like, listen, it's all meaningless. In our society today, the desire for more is applauded. Covetousness is a serious sin in God's eyes so much that he placed it in the Ten Commandments. So here, well, number one, the Old Testament has many examples of the effect of covetousness. This Tenth Commandment lists several things not to covet of your neighbors. House, spouse, servants, animals, and the final statement sums it up. Don't covet anything that's your neighbor's. I mentioned Achan earlier. He saw, he coveted, he took. He coveted what it was God's. Remember, I told you Jericho was the first fruits; It belonged to the Lord. And he coveted what did not belong to him. It wasn't his neighbor's. It wasn't Joshua's. It wasn't one of his fellow soldiers. It was God's. He coveted what was God's, and he looked too long. And it cost the lives of 36 fellow soldiers, Achan, and his entire family for that mishap. Ahab and Jezebel. Two of the wickedest people that we, when we think about wicked people in the Bible, Ahab and Jezebel are usually up there number one on the top of the list. They were extremely wicked. Well, did you think about it? What caused their downfall? Ultimately, what we find was the straw that broke the camel's back. Well, it wasn't idol worship. They did that a long time. It wasn't persecuting the prophets. They killed a lot of them. It wasn't even desecrating the temple because they did that and got away with it for quite a while. You know what it was? It was covetousness. What brought down Ahab and Jezebel? Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. Naboth refused, and Jezebel had him and his sons murdered. So, babe, cry baby Ahab, read the story sometime. Could have Naboth's vineyard, and it was after this that finally God said, "You have done enough. I have seen enough, and judgment is coming to Ahab and Jezebel." Proverbs 1.19 says, "So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof." So that's the Old Testament. What is it, New Testament today? Matthew 16, 26. For what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We've got to once again get proper perspective on what is actually important. How many of you here? How many of you here, you're a Christian? You, you know the Lord. Come on, the testimony time. You're a Christian. Anybody like, come on, raise your hand. Don't be ashamed of it. Y'all acting like y'all are afraid. I'm, I'm a Christian. Can I just tell you the condition of your soul? Your relationship with the Lord is number one. That is the very most one important part of your life, your soul. Get a proper perspective on what is important and again. Your, can I just tell you, your marriage is one of the most important things in your life. Parents, here your child is one of the very most important things in your life. Stuff comes and stuff goes. Luke twelve and fifteen, and he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So how do I know if I'm covetousness? If, <laughs> if I'm covetous, some symptoms are one experiencing a gnawing anxiety. For what we don't have. Number two, ungrateful complaining because we don't have what other people have. Three, abuse abuse of credit cards in spite of growing financial debt. Four, hoarding what we own and not being generous at all. Five, feeling we could harm someone to get what we want, and that's not just physically. I'm not talking about just, you know. Not just, oh, I'd never hold somebody at gunpoint, but would you swindle them if you could behind their back? Feeding our contemporary problem for materialism and consumerism are ads telling us that happiness is just one purchase away. And by the way, you're worth it and you deserve it. You can't even go buy something half the time. You ever been to Belk or or Best Buy or somewhere and they used to do it, they're just doing it at Walmart and Target for a while. You go in and you try to pay, and they're like, Would you like to would you like to open a credit card with us? No, are you sure? If you buy, you could save $5 right now on this purchase if you get. No, I don't want it. Are you sure because you could get it? No! (laughs) No, 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 no. Do you want my money or I'm just gonna leave the stuff here and get out of (laughs) here? Our prayers can even be affected by covetousness. Y'all ready for this? James 4, 1 through 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but, not get, but do not have. Excuse me. I'm trying to go too fast. i got to settle down. <laughs> Slow down. I'm almost done. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have. So you kill. You covet. But you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. We have not because we ask not. Then he says, sometimes you are asking, but you ain't getting it because the only reason you're asking is because you just want to fatten yourself up and have more and more and more for yourself. For the 500th time, I'll remind you, God blessed Abraham so he could be a blessing. God wants to use you. He wants to use you as a conduit. God will get it to you if he knows he can get it through you. But as Jesus so perfectly illustrates the man that had a great harvest and he kept kept accumulating, accumulating, he got so much that he said, you know what, I'm just going to tear down these small barns. I'm going to build me even bigger barns so that I can have everything for myself. God wants us to be a blessing to others. Covetousness says, I'm, I want it all, I want it all. Come on, y'all remember that song, and I want it now, and I'm going to keep it for myself. How do we f- defeat covetousness? Well, sometimes we, get, sometimes we get a wrong idea. There's a difference between being spiritually satisfied and having godly contentment. 1 Timothy 6 6 says, but godliness without contentment, excuse me, godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, true wealth comes from being satisfied with God's provisions for this life and knowing Jesus. Godly contentment is, Lord, thank you. I may want a 10 car garage and a Lamborghini and a Porsche and everything else to go. You've heard me preach this enough. God is not against giving you something. Abraham was filthy rich, but Abraham did not let it control him. Godliness with contentment is great. I'm not saying you get satisfied spiritually. I'm saying in the flesh with what you have, godliness with contentment is great game. When you can sit back and say, God, if you want me to have more, you'll get it to me. If you want me to have this, you'll get it to me. I I can be happy if this is all I have. I've got so much. I've got my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. If I had nothing else, that's worth eternity. So, Lord, I can be content with what I have and where I am in this season, knowing that when you get ready to bless me, you'll bless me. Thanks for listening to our podcast. To find out more about us, follow us on social media at Starkville COG. Special thanks to those who generously support this ministry. If you would like to give, visit us at StarkvilleCOG.com forward slash give. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.